Thank you. Hey, good morning. I'm excited for a chance uh, to share God's Word with you, but before I do, um, I want you all to have a chance to meet uh, one of the absolute most wonderful uh, young women on our campus, uh, our daughter, Abby. Honey, why don't you uh, just stand? That's great. And we love coming to Liberty. We're excited to be here on Parents Weekend, and I don't want to waste any more time. So if you have a Bible, why don't you turn to Acts chapter 12. I'm going to spend uh, the next half hour going through Acts chapter 12 with you. And I want to make, I think a lot of people are asking the question uh, these days, why should I be a Christian? Why should I be a Christian, really? I mean, at the end of the day, what's, what's really there for me? Why should I be a Christian? Well, of course, there's the obvious matter of heaven and hell, which is not to be minimized, uh, not in any way. Some people are heading out into eternity a lot sooner than they thought they would. But I'd like to talk to you about a different benefit. One of the greatest benefits of knowing and loving the Lord is this truth. When you've forgotten about me and me being here today, I hope you'll remember this truth, that God is in control. You know that Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says that God is in control. In fact, the Bible says that God is working all things together for the good of those who love God and are committed or called to his purposes. Do you love God? Are you committed to God's purposes for your life? Let me ask you that again. Do you love God? Are you committed to God's purposes for your life? One of the great promises in the Old Testament is is that God loves you so much that he has a plan for your life. And and no matter what happens to you, no matter what burden you brought into chapel today, no matter what you're heavy-hearted about, no matter how you failed or what you've done or where you've been, if you love God and if you're committed to God's purposes for your life, God is working everything for your good. That is an awesome assertion. The theological term is is the sovereignty of God. But I think a lot of people understand the concept. They don't really understand how it works in life. So I'd like to go into this passage, Acts chapter 12. I'd like to go through it a verse at a time. And I'd like to answer this question. What does it really look like in my life for God to be in control? Acts chapter 12 verse 1 uh, begins like this. It says, about that time Herod... Herod was the king, not the one that was putting the little babies to death. Uh, Not that one, but probably his grandson, not a great family. Um, Actually, Herod isn't even a name. Herod is a title. If you ever get to be king, you can call yourself Herod. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. People often approach me as a pastor and say, man, I wish we could get back to the book of Acts. I mean, I wish we could have our church could be like the book of Acts. I I always want to say, well, have you even read the book of Acts? Because it was not easy those days. I hear they're grabbing people and throwing them in prison for being Christians. Verse 2 says, uh, so much so was Herod out of control that he killed James, the brother of John. This is uh, not, uh, this is James, Peter, James, and John. This is one of the top three disciples. And uh, he didn't give him some sleeping pills or something. He uh, flat out uh, uh, lifted a sword up and cut his head off. Okay? So a pretty difficult time to be in the church. Here's the first thing I want you to know about God being in control. God is in control even when I suffer. God is in control even when difficult things are happening in my life. God's in control even when I open a piece of mail or get a cell phone call or or hear something from a professor or a broken-hearted friend contacts me. God is in control of my life. If I love him, if I'm committed to his purposes, God is in control no matter what. Here in the text, he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Verse 3. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, as Herod was so cruel, he's like, yeah, they like that when I kill people. 
Notice it says he proceeded to arrest Peter also. So he's killed the number three disciple. Number one is now in prison. Uh, The Christians are suffering. Now a lot of times when things like that happen, we want to say to ourselves, well, see, now that proves that God's not in control. Bad things are happening. Now you have to have a better theology than that. If you're going to draw a dotted line every time from your difficult experience that, well, God must not love me. I'm having a bad day. God must not love me. Things aren't going the way that I like. God must not love me. My boyfriend, my girlfriend, they broke up with me. I I got some uh, bad test results from the doctor. God must not love me. You've got to have a better theology than that. Hebrews chapter 12 says that whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Uh, Biblically speaking, uh, difficult times in your life are proof of God's love. God is using difficult circumstances in your life to shape you. And if every time suffering comes, you're going to say, well, God, I'm kind of out on you now. You've made life difficult for me. God's love is not a pampering love. God's love is a perfecting love. God's not like, here, Billy, have another cupcake. Take the one with the icing on it. Your mom might be like that. Your mom. But God's not like that. God's making you into something. And God's using suffering in your life to do it. Look at this picture. This is a picture of Lauren McCain. When I saw on the news the Virginia Tech shootings, I thought to myself, for sure a Christian died that day. For sure. God's got people everywhere. This is Lauren McCain. She was shot at Virginia Tech. God must not love her. God would never allow a difficult thing to happen to a person. She must not have loved God. But listen to what she'd written on her MySpace page. This is Lauren McCain, quote, the purpose of my life is to love Jesus Christ, she wrote. I don't have to argue religion or philosophy or historical evidence because I know him. He's just as real, if not more so, as my earthly father. Even though she suffered, God was in control of her life. God was preparing her for heaven. She's with the Lord right now. She's having an awesome day today, all right? And and God does use painful circumstances in the life of his children. You've got to open up your heart and and be available for that reality. It's truth that sets you free. The early church was suffering. James was dead. Peter was in prison. And when he had seized Peter, he put him in prison, verse 4, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers. Peter was kind of a jailbird in the book of Acts, so he had been in and out twice already. And so they put... 16 soldiers, four squads of four soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter, so what, is that, what do you think that means, everybody? Intending to bring him out. What do you suppose they were intending to do to Peter? Anybody want to guess? Execute. execute, correct. Give me the universal symbol for execute. What were they going to do? They were going to kind of, everybody? What were they going to do to Peter? Correct, yeah, the sound effect, that's good. So they, they were going to, they were going to, Peter was going to die. But notice it says in the text, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Every single person in this room is in a spiritual battle. The enemy wants to have you. The Bible says Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you. But people are praying for you. Parents are praying for you. People in your church are praying for you. Where's your life going to end up exactly? Don't make the mistake of thinking that just because hardship comes, God is not in control. God is in control even when I suffer. Now I'm going to go on to the next verse. Are you following with me? Note the second thing. God is in control even when it's midnight. God is in control even when it's midnight. God is in control even when we're down to the last second. Have you ever prayed a prayer like, God, I need this, and I need it now. 
I need this by Friday, God, and I don't mean after lunch. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Sometimes God lets us go to the very end. Sometimes God lets us go to the last minute. Sometimes God lets us go to the last second. You're like, well, I don't like it when he does that. I agree. But he's God, okay? He gets to do what he wants. And, and sometimes God brings us to the place where we know we need him so desperately. Somebody came into chapel this morning, I don't know who it is, but you're feeling very desperate. You're feeling at the end, you feel like maybe you don't have anyone. You're feeling kind of alone right now. You're quite concerned about your future and, and some difficult decisions you have to make. But you need to hear the word this morning that God is in control even when it's midnight. Verse 6 says, now when Herod was about to bring him out. Now what did we already decide Herod was going to do when he brought him out? Peter, tell me again, give me that symbol. What was it? No, no, with the sound effect, everybody all together, go. Correct. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, so this isn't the week of Peter's death, this isn't the day of Peter's death, this isn't the hour of Peter's death, he has minutes or seconds. That's how long he has to live. Notice back to God's word, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, what does it say in the Bible? What was, you, you could see it on the screen. What was Peter doing? Acts chapter 12, verse 6. When Herod was about to bring him out, Peter was... Lift up your voice. What was he doing? Don't you think that's awesome? Don't you think that's awesome? Tell me again, what was Peter doing? What was he doing? He was sleeping. That's awesome. He wasn't worried. He wasn't like, what's going to happen? He's like, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm, 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 today I could die, you know? I might be going to heaven tonight. And, and James is already dead, and I could be going too. So, man, the last thing I want is, is when I get to heaven to be overtired. So I'm going to just catch some sleep here so that when I get to heaven, I mean, I'm going to be so fired up to get the tour and everything, and uh, you all know what it's like when you stay up too late and you're not very good the next day. You all know what that's like? So Peter was like, I'm going to get some sleep. You say, how could he possibly sleep? He was about to die. Well, he knew something that we desperately need to know. He knew that God was in control of his life. He knew that he wasn't going to exit this world one minute early or one minute late. He was trusting a God who was in control. He loved God. He was committed to God's purposes. Do you love God? Are you committed to God's purposes for your life? Because if you are, God is in control even when I'm suffering. God is in control even when it's midnight. Now watch what happens. This is so awesome. So Peter's sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, sentries at the door, guarding the prison. Verse 7 says, you can see it on the screen, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He's, so here's this angel shows up. He strikes Peter on the side, and he wakes him up. Now apparently from this text, you can learn that angels are very kind. Because the angel, my parents never woke me up like that. My dad was like, get up. But, but the angel's like, get up quickly. And notice it says, and the chains fell off his hands. That's a miracle. And then the angel says to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. Isn't that sweet? Angels are so kind. Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you. We don't want you to catch your death. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. Now, um, how, many people here, how many people here are mourning people? Put up your hand if you're a mourning person. All right? Cool, cool. How many people here are totally a night person? Right. Yeah, yeah. I did not see that coming. All right, so um, 
But if you're not a morning person, you don't wake up very good in the morning, right? If you're a night person, and I think Peter was a night person because he's so, he's so confused. So he's following this angel getting out of prison. And he went out and followed him, but he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real. But he thought he was seeing a vision. He's like, I shouldn't have stayed up so late last night. When they passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street. And immediately the angel of the Lord left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Hey, get this. That answer came at the last minute. God's sovereignty, God's control was demonstrated in the last second. I want you to hear this. Even if things don't look that great right now, even if you're heavy-hearted and burdened about some things that are coming, even if you're, you're deeply concerned about your future, you need to know that God is in control even when I'm suffering. God is in control even when it's midnight. You say, James, I, I got to tell you, I, I struggle to believe that sometimes. All right, well, here's the third thing. God, this is, this is such good news. God is in control even when my faith is weak. How about that? Anybody here ever struggle with their faith? Let's have honesty and convocation today. Put up your hand high and hold it up. Let other people see. Sometimes I struggle with my faith. That's good to be honest. Sometimes I struggle to believe. All right? Check this out. Starting now, we're going through Acts 12. We're seeing how God is in control. What it really looks like. Acts 12, 12. Here's the third thing. God is in control even when my faith is weak. Verse 12 says... When he realized this, that he was awake and out of prison, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. So they were were praying. What do you suppose they were praying for? Anybody? Yeah, correct. They were praying for Peter. They wanted Peter to get out of prison. So they were in this little prayer meeting. You ever been in a prayer meeting where all the Christians are praying? And, and they're like, get him out of prison, get him out of prison, Lord, get him out of prison. Oh, God. You know, there's always that one guy who prays louder than everybody else. He's like, oh, God, get him out of prison. You know, and everyone's like, I'm supposed to be praying, but I have to look at what a person like that actually looks like who prays like that. And uh, maybe, you're, maybe that's your roommate. Okay, so, the, so they're all fired up in this prayer meeting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, and they were gathered together and they were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, hey, so what's it like? I've never been in prison, uh, but what's it like? Some of you probably could tell me. um, What's it like when you get out of prison? What's it like? Any of y'all ever been in prison? No, I'm sure not. What's it like when you get out of prison? I'm thinking you don't want to spend a lot of time standing in the street, right? So Peter's like, knock, 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 like, come on, let me. And then you know when you're you're like an ex-con, and, and you hear the dogs barking and the lights are coming on and everybody's a little stressed out about all of it. And, and so Peter's like at the gate, open, 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 open. But inside the people are praying. And when he, verse 13, and when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. This girl is incredible. We don't know, the, the word girl there is like she was probably like 10 or 11 or something like that. Maybe you have a sister who's that old. She's like 11 or 12, so they're like, you answer it. So they're all like, get Peter out of prison, get Peter out of prison. And she goes like walking to the gate. Now, verse 14, one of the funniest verses in the whole New Testament. I'll just read it to you. So she goes to get Peter, verse 14. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate. (laughs) But ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Is that great or what? 
And, and so Peter's out there, he's so, he wants in so bad, and she's like, and she goes and tells the people. In fact, when I heard this, this reminded me of a song I heard years ago by Larnell Harris about this girl, Rhoda. Because I think this is so embarrassing for her. When we get to heaven someday, are y'all going to heaven? <laughs> when, I hope you know the Lord, that's the only way to get there. And when we get to heaven, okay, I'm, I'll see you there, and I'll be like, that is her right there. That, that's her. So anyway, Larnell Harris wrote this song about Rhoda from verse 14. Listen to this little clip. Yeah, that's cool for sure. Okay, but get, get the point now. So Peter's standing out there. Rhoda's like, I want you to imagine now. She comes back to the prayer meeting, and she's like, he's out there. He's out there. And, and just imagine the prayer meeting for a minute. Everybody just humor me. Everybody start praying, uh, get him out of prison, get him out of prison, get him out of prison. Go ahead, start praying that. No, no, but in the whispery voice, like how Christians, when they're praying, why we whisper, I don't really know. But to do it like the whispery voice, like, get him out of prison, get him out of prison. Go ahead, do that. I'll be Rhoda. Start praying. Come on, come on, come on. All right, right, right. And, I, and I'm like, he's out there! He's out there! He's at the gate! Now, you've got to look back at the, at the text to see what their answer is, because this is unbelievable. So she's like, they're like, get him out of prison. And she's like, he's here! Verse 15. They said to her, you are out of your mind. Okay, now, the point that I want to make about this is, is... They were praying for Peter to get out of prison. Uh, question, did God answer? Yes. Um, was their faith great, though? Everyone vote. Uh, great faith, not great faith. Tell me. What was their faith like? Uh, correct. Uh, bad faith. Weak faith. Uh, minimal faith. Um, um, thimble full of faith. Now, that blesses me because even though their faith wasn't great... Did God answer? Yes, he did. Now, out there some places around is this idea that God won't do nothing until my faith is great. And if I don't have great faith, God's not doing anything for me. And I hate that teaching. And if you had had more faith, then, then maybe, maybe your mom wouldn't have died. And if you had had more faith, then, then, then maybe, things, maybe this would have worked out different for you. And, and listen, I love the idea that faith's important, okay? And, and without faith, you can't even please God, the Bible says. But... but God is in control even when my faith is weak. Isn't that good news? Even when I'm struggling, even when I'm not sure, but if I could just just fire off some kind of a prayer, even a weak sort of half-hearted prayer, it would be great. And, And notice in the text, they're like, you're out of your mind, but she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it's his angel, which I don't even get that, because I'm thinking to myself, well, even if it's an angel, I'm still going to the door to see, right? But they're like, no, no, if it's not Peter, we're gonna keep praying. 
And I would have checked it out either way, but they weren't going to go check. So, so they're like, it's just, but then notice in the text, if you're looking closely at God's word, notice that it doesn't say that they thought that it was an angel. They kept saying that they thought that it was what? His angel. So what does that mean? They thought that Peter was, they thought Peter was dead. Now I got to tell you the truth. I've been that person. I've been the person who was praying when I thought it's, all, it's over. I've been the person on my knees calling out to God, asking God to do the thing, but in my heart I was like, it's not coming back. It's too far gone now. And I, to me, it is so awesome that they're weak, half-hearted prayers. They thought it was over. They thought Peter was already dead. They thought it's too late. Nothing can change this. But they still stopped and prayed. And God saw their little bit of faith and he honored it and he blessed it and he answered. That's good news, brother. That's good news, sister of mine in Christ. That God is in control even when I'm suffering. God is in control even when it's midnight, even when it's down to the wire, God's in control. And God is in control even when my faith is weak. A little bit more from the text. So Peter comes in and, and it says, but he, he kept knocking. And so they opened and they saw him and they were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand, he's like, shh, 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 shh. Because you don't want to be super loud when you just busted out of prison and stuff, right? It's like coming in after hours, which I know none of you ever do. But he's like. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And, and he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Well, Luke is a very thorough writer, so in verses 18 uh, and 19, he kind of goes back to the prison and tells you about the prison guards. Anybody want to know about what happened to the prison guards? It's sort of a cool part, and so to respect God's word, let's go over that little part. Now, when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had what become of Peter. Don't you love the way the Bible says things? So if there was no little disturbance over what happened to Peter, what kind of disturbance was there? There was a very large disturbance. Can't you just hear the soldiers? Like, 16 of them were guarding Peter. It's like, dude, how did he get out of here, man? And how'd you let that happen? And it's like, well, you were chained to him, man. And, and how'd you let him get out? And they're arguing. And then they're like, I'm not going to tell Herod. You tell Herod. And they're back and forth, you know, and they probably drew straws. So some guy had to come and stand before Herod and said, Pete, 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 Peter, 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 Peter. And Herod, not a patient guy, is like, what do you want? And he's like, he escaped. And so Herod was such a complete and total control freak, notice in the text, that after he had searched for him, so he actually went down to the prison, and the prisons then were not great, okay? We're not talking about like with bowling alleys and stuff. The prisons back then were like rat infested, sewage running down the hallway, and there's King Herod looking for Peter. Uh, Herod, what are the chances that they came and told you that he escaped without looking? No, I'm gonna find out for myself. And so he goes down there and he examines the sentries in order that they should be put to death, which proves that Peter was gonna die because in New Testament times, if you let someone escape, you got what they were gonna get. So he went down from Judea to Caesarea. He kind of went on vacation and spent some time there. Now here's the, here's the last part, starting in verse 20. I'm just going through a chapter in God's word. God is in control even when I suffer. God is in control even when it's midnight. God is in control even when my faith is weak. Now here's the last thing. God is in control even when the wicked seem to prosper. Do you ever fear that? Do you, ever, do you ever read the newspaper and think to yourself, the wicked are prospering? Do you ever look at some of the polls and think to yourself, well, I'm hoping for the best, but I don't know what's going to happen exactly. And I don't imply that I know what should happen. I don't have any political party. that I, I belong to the party of Jesus Christ. That's my party. All right? <laughs> Revelation chapter 1 says that our loyalties are to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. 
But sometimes I read the newspapers and I see what's going on in the world and I think to myself, come on, God. Come on, God, they're winning. They're, they're getting away with things. Come on, God, do something. Now, does anybody else ever feel like that? I mean, don't leave me up here all by myself. <laughs> does anyone ever feel like, come on, God, just do something? Does anyone feel like that? Because I totally, I'm just like, just one time, God, just show them how awesome you are. Just, just take him out. I feel like that sometimes. <laughs> I do. Verse 20. So if you ever wonder about that, this is your part right here. Now Herod was angry. That was a pretty regular day. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, that's modern day Lebanon, and they came to him with one accord. That means they all kind of got on the same page, and so they, they come to him, and having persuaded, you see that Blastus? Yeah, not a great name, Blastus. Any, any Blastuses here this morning? <laughs> right. I've dedicated a lot of little kids to the Lord at the front of our church. I've never held a little Blastus in my arms. But anyway, so there's this guy Blastus, and he's like the secretary to the king. They persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended upon the king's country for food. So they're like, there was an embargo. And they're like, we're starving over here. Can we get on your good side? Why don't you come down to where we live, or actually up to where we live, and we'll put on a big thing for you, and you can walk out on stage and act how important you are and everything, and we'll all clap and make you feel famous, and then you can take the embargo off. And the herald was like, yeah, we'll do that. They made an appointment with this Blastus guy. Verse 21, on appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes. This is actually a historical event. Um, Josephus, the historian of the time, uh, says this in regard to Herod. He describes his robes this way. This is a secular historical document. He says, on the second day of the spectacle, clad in a garment woven completely of silver so that its texture was indeed wondrous, he entered the theater at daybreak. Now they're describing like his robe. The silver, illuminated by the touch of the first rays of the sun, was wondrously radiant, and by its glitter inspired fear and awe in those who gazed upon Herod. Wow. So y'all can be the people of Tyre and Sidon, and I'll be Herod. Okay? Ready? So you're all going to be very impressed with me because you want the embargo taken off, and I'm a very evil, cruel person. I already killed James. I tried to kill Peter, but he got away. And so I'm going to come out now. Wait, wait. I'm not ready. Wait, wait. Now it says in the text, it says, on a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel, put on these robes, took a seat on the throne, and delivered an oration to them. An oration is a pompous speech, okay? So it was kind of like, here's his speech. I'm Herod, you're not. Amen. And then notice... It had to be that somebody thought, somebody thought, oh, it's not enough. He's not going to be impressed with us. He's not going to like us enough. So we got to, and there's always that one guy in the crowd, you know, who gets everybody riled up. And it says, and the people gave a shout. It's kind of like getting the wave going. And the people gave a shout. So, so somebody gets them going, come on, come on. And, and they started saying, it's the voice of a God and not a man. And everyone started saying it. Wait, wait, wait. And what, what Herod should have done was, he should have been like, no, no, I'm just a man like you, don't worship me. But instead he was like, 
He was like, bring it on. Now, have you ever been in that situation where someone's taking all the glory for themselves and, and, and someone's in it for themselves and they, they just think it's all about themselves and you're just like, come on, God, don't let them get away with that. Come on, God, do something. And, and um, this is going to be a good moment for you if you've ever thought that. Because notice it says the people were shouting, it's the voice of a God and not a man. The Bible says immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. Isn't that great? So, so what's so cool about that is because even though the Bible says that an angel of the Lord did it, how many people would agree that probably the angels don't do a lot of stuff without checking with God? Like I doubt if they ever hardly ever go, I'm going to do this, I bet he'll like it. I'll bet you almost always. So even though the Bible doesn't say it, how many people would agree that right before the angel struck Herod dead, God was like, take him out. <laughs> Do we agree? All right. So the point is, is that we don't have to wonder anymore what God thinks about wicked people in this world. There are places in the scripture that tell us the Bible says that God's wrath is being stored up. That what God thinks about every wicked, evil, wrong thing that's ever been done in this world. Look, he's in control. And every so often he'll tip his hand like here and say, here's what I think. But most of all, uh, this is the day of grace. This is the time to turn and get away from God's wrath and receive the forgiveness of sins and have your life changed by Jesus Christ. But someday the Bible says that Christ is going to return with a sword coming out of his mouth. That with it he may strike the nations. You don't have to think nothing is God forgetting. Nothing is he letting go by. Nothing is going unexcused and will ultimately be paid for by Christ or under the wrath and vengeance of Almighty God. The Bible says that Jesus treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And so someday, here in this text, in regard to Herod, we see God's heart. He was struck down because he did not give God the glory. God's in control. God's in control. I just want you to hear that. God is so in control. God's ruling the universe with his feet up. He's not stressed or strained. He's not pacing back and forth. He's not wiping sweat from his brow. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. God is working all things together for the good of those who love him. Let me ask you one last time. Do you love God? Are you committed to God's purposes for your life? Listen, if you love God, if you love God, if you're committed to God's purposes for your life, if, if you're surrendered to those purposes, listen to me, God's in control even when you're suffering, even when it's midnight, even when your faith is weak, even when the wicked seem to prosper, God is in control. Lift up your voice, let's say it together. God is in control, say it. That's what I came to tell you. God bless.